So let's do a little survey with, with you now, the adults. Uh, let's take a look at some of the things that happen within our lives. Uh, uh, and, and just kind of, I'll ask the questions. We're not going to have responses. and I'm going to have you raise hands or, or talk out loud. But just kind of think through some of your own responses to this. Uh, so what, what is your prayer practice? I suppose I need to ask the, the question, do you have a prayer practice? Uh, is, is there a certain time of the day? Or is there a, a place or an hour uh, that uh, is special to you that is... Uh, more uh, inclined for you to, to be able to say a word of, of prayer. Uh, on what occasions do you pray? Is there a pattern that you follow? There's so many different patterns out there. Perhaps the, the most known one is ACTS. We've probably heard of uh, ACTS form of, of prayer, acclamation, confession, thanksgiving, supplication the key words of, of prayer. And then those who are really into prayer will look at that and say, yeah, that's great, but you're, you've lost one of the most significant parts of prayer, and that's listening. So often we, we concentrate on what we have to say without really saying anything about our need to listen for God in our lives and through the events and the experiences of our lives. But do you, have, do you follow a pattern in prayer? Do you pray the same prayer all the time, like the Lord's Prayer, like we do typically on most Sunday mornings? A little bit more personal, who taught you to pray? Yeah, I have to, I, I'm seeing, now I'm seeing the gears really turned. I, I see your faces. Is there a particular person who has taught you to pray? Is, is there a, an experience that you've had in life? that brought you to uh, a deeper understanding of prayer. And then I have to ask the question, what if you come to this experience today in worship and you think, you know what, my prayer life is non-existent right now. I'm really angry with God. I don't know if I could pray right now. So I simply want to acknowledge the full range of possibilities that would exist even among Christians and even among people right here in this place sitting with us beside each other right now. Well, today's parable is unique to Luke, as was also last week's parable. Remember, if you were here last week, it was the persistent widow and the judge. Luke is uh, one who is pulling out some special stories, so to speak, to remind us of the power of God at work in our lives. And, and through these parables that are unique to Luke, there seems to be a, an overarching theme to them that Luke has a greater emphasis on prayer than any of the other Gospels. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Jesus prays at his baptism in Luke. Jesus prays before selecting the 12 disciples in Luke. Jesus prays before he asks the, the disciples, who, who do the people say I am? Jesus prays even before he teaches the disciple to pray. The Lord's Prayer as we know it. Why Luke emphasizes prayer may have something to do with who Luke writes to, the purpose of his gospel. Remember how he writes to most excellent Theophilus. 
And, and so there are some people who say that he puts such an emphasis on prayer because he knows that Theophilus is not someone who comes out of the Jewish community, and the people with whom Theophilus may be sharing the gospel may have no concept of prayer, certainly not in the Christian context. And, and so there are many who say that that's one of the core reasons why there's so much of an emphasis on prayer. And to think that there are people who do not know how to pray. And, and then, so it leads me to ask yet another question. Have you ever asked yourself that question? I'm not sure I really know how to pray. And, and I want to put your minds at ease to be able to say, uh, I'm not holding any expectations on, on this one as, as your pastor because I think in the Christian community nowadays, we have to have an openness within our churches to be able to say, you know what? It's okay to ask that sort of question. It's safe. This is a safe place to ask this sort of question. So that you would be able to engage more at a deeper level with God so that you would be able to gain more comfort and gain more security and more confidence in being able to pray because where else are you going to ask that sort of a question in this world of ours, right? And where else are you going to ask that sort of a question and get an answer that is truly God-honoring? A great writer, Luke Timothy Johnson, says that for Luke, prayer is faith in action. Prayer is not the demonstration of our relationship with God. It is our relationship with God. As many people say, and we heard during the children's message, prayer is conversation. It's carrying on a conversation with God. I don't know how many times I have people walk up to me and say, oh, I, uh, Pastor, I, I, I can't pray. And usually it's the context of, of praying out loud in public. I get it. I get it. And, and, and sometimes you hear people like, you know, the professional prayer people like pastors pray. And, and you think, man, I, I can't pray like that. And, and Sunday after Sunday, we have a, a great number of different people lead our, our, our prayer time. And, and some of you think, man, man I, I can't pray like that. No, you can't, and you don't. You pray like you. With your experiences in your relationship with God, in your honesty, in your authenticity, in your words, not my words. Well, these two parables taken together, the one from last week and the one this week uh, of the persistent widow and the two men who go into the temple to pray, it, it seems like we're instructed to pray with the determination of the widow 
and the humility of the tax collector. Wow, now there's a combination of words. Determination and humility all at the same time. Determined humility, huh? I, I don't know, can you pray like that? Determined humility? I, I suppose because that seems to be what is being suggested here. Now, what would probably surprise many in Jesus' day, and this is kind of well-worn territory for some, is that the prayers of these two people, the persistent widow and, and of the tax collector, that those prayers were answered at all. How can God possibly bless the likes of people like these, some of the leaders of the temple might say at the time. Both would have been considered unfit, unclean, unwelcome within the temple. But not only are the prayers answered, Jesus apparently even invites us to emulate people who are the outcast of his society of that day. We are instructed to pray with the determination of the widow and the humility of the tax collector. Now, now let's step back in time if we possibly can. What if we can imagine ourselves in that day and age hearing Jesus preach that? And, and, and we have had a steady diet throughout our lives of saying that the people that we need to emulate as far as godliness are the Pharisees. They are the bee's knees when it comes to, to relationship with God. I'm dating myself again, aren't I, with expressions. Actually, I learned that one from my father-in-law. So how would we feel if we had ingrained in our thinking that the Pharisee was the best possible representative of godly living, was the benchmark of holiness, demonstrated the epitome of prayer life, and in fact, in kind of a roundabout, backdoor sort of way, Jesus acknowledges in and through the parable that indeed the Pharisees certain had it uh, in his mind that it was, he was great. He exceeds the law's demands. He fasted twice a week rather than once a week. Do you remember how that statement was made in the Pharisees' prayer? I'm so proud of myself, I fast twice a week instead of just once. Wow, look at me, God. Tithe all on everything, not just the animals, but everything I tithe. The Pharisee is just about as good as it gets, or at least so that's what he thinks. The tax collector in this, uh, again, well-worn territory, they were the traitors. They were despised for their wealth by ill-gotten gain, usually. Not to be trusted, religiously unclean. Tax collectors were just about as bad as it gets. Imagine the likes of two being in the temple at the same time. That the one in the parable was even in the temple should have opened the eyes of Jesus' listener to begin with. Well, verse 11 reveals that the so-called good guy, the Pharisee, prayed to himself. Among his self-boasting, he thanked God that he was not like the rest of humanity. But that was not that uncommon. Listen to this frankly offensive prayer of Rabbi Judah of many generations ago. Rabbi Judah admonished those who followed him to pray the following prayer three times a day. Pray 
Lord, that he did not make me a heathen, for all the heathen are as nothing before him. Praise be he that he did not make me a woman, for woman is not under obligation to fulfill the law. Praise be he that he did not make me an uneducated man, for the uneducated man is not cautious to avoid sins. And on and on it goes. I, I, I think I'm safe to say that probably our prayers don't sound like that. I, at least I would hope. Now, by contrast, Jesus portrays the tax collector as distraught, wouldn't even look up to heaven, but pounded his chest. We know that. <clears throat> we know that because of how he prays, his actions, his posture. He practically demands from God mercy and forgiveness and compassion. And the interesting thing is the tax collector doesn't even say, please. But in a rather curious and roundabout way, at least the Pharisee says, thank you, but in a kind of his own way. And so what must have shocked Jesus' listener is that the tax collector goes home that night in right relationship with God. And all of a sudden, how many times have I read through this parable, it just suddenly, this question popped into my head. And I said, how does, how does he know? How, how does the tax collector know that he went home justified before God? I mean, we, we don't hear anything more about this tax collector in this parable. And I guess that's the key. It's a parable. And Jesus can say and do anything he wants to in the parable. And, and, and I guess the, the tax collector knows that he went home justified because that's what Jesus said. I mean, it could be as simple as that. But, but it's not like the story we're going to hear next week about Zacchaeus up the tree where we know that Zacchaeus up the tree comes down and... and he changes his life, and we hear he, give, he gives restitution to those people he, who have been wronged by him. But we don't have that sense from this story. Parables simply just don't give us all the information that we want, doggone it. But then again, maybe we have all the information we do need. A tax collector who humbles himself is honest and direct with God, doesn't play with God, doesn't call out to God and say, hey, look at me, look how good I am. Man, I've really made it, haven't I? And so, God, if there's just that little extra, here I am, pour it out. Now, I, I may be bold to say that maybe some of our prayers could sound something like that with different words. If the Pharisee is simply viewed as the villain and the tax collector a hero, that perhaps is one of the things that we can take away from this story. We, but I think that we lose something a little bit deeper. Great preacher Fred Craddock said of this parable, I don't want you to leave the sanctuary saying, Thank you, God. Thank you that I'm not like that Pharisee. <laughs> ha. He goes on to say, it's possible that the reversal could be reversed. Ooh. Huh? Do you want me to run that one by again? 
it might come back to bite us, what we've just said, in other words. The parable is not entirely a warning against pride and self-sufficiency. The point is more the hypocrisy of the Pharisee who is great towards God or seems to proclaim that he is, and when it comes to his relationship with other people, doesn't give a darn. Jesus reminds us, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. That's in Luke 6, 36 through 38. You've heard me use these words before, and I'm fond of them. Jonathan Swift in 1711 says, we have just enough religion to make us hate. Perhaps like that Pharisee but not enough religion to make us love one another. Wow. So what then is the key to prayer? Ah, it is the exercise of our relationship with God. It is the core of our relationship with God and, and therefore our relationship with others. That, I think, is the key of this story and the key of prayer. It is as Luke Timothy Johnson said, prayer is faith in action. It is the relationship. We can be close as all get out through prayer with God. But that relationship being as strong as we may purport it to be has to have its translation to our relationship with others. We can't say, look how great I am to God and, and turn our back on people whom God calls us to love. Wow. So prayer is that exercising of our relationship, an exercise of our faith, an exercise of not only a relationship with God, but that relationship so strong that it, it translates to the relationship with those around us. It's not just hold up in a bottle. It's not about how fluent we are with our words, but rather about how honest we are. It's not about how formal we are, but rather how authentic we are. It's not about the formulas we use, though they may be beneficial and assist us, but rather how relational we are. Why, as God's Word indicates, and so many Paul call attention to, when Jesus prays, sometimes His opening words is daddy. Through song, we're going to do something interesting now. Um, 
like I began, we're at all different levels of our understanding of prayer and all different levels of where we are in our spirit right now, all different levels in where we are in our relationship with God right now. And uh, the worship team and Howard and Katie and I and others struggled with this a little bit. And we said, is, is this the right song? And, and what won the day in our planning was that we thought it was an answer to prayer that this song would probably meet someone where they are right now. Maybe not everybody, but maybe meet some people right now where they are today and maybe allow us an understanding of, ah, yeah, I have been there, or perhaps anticipate a time in the future we know nothing of that we may be there again in those depths and I pray that one of the takeaways today is an understanding that no matter, again, where you are, what experience you have in life, you know that you can always cry out to God.